Hi folks, it's Matt here from the RCR podcast. Before we get stuck into today's podcast, I'd just like to ask you a favour. If you've ever got any value from this podcast, you could do us a massive favour by going to wherever you get your podcast from and subscribing to the show and leaving us a review. You can also follow us on Instagram at go-rover, and that would be fantastic. So let's jump right into today's. So folks, today I am absolutely delighted to welcome onto the Ask the Arb podcast, Ewan McGregor. Now, we've had a few technical issues with the start of this podcast, so the first two minutes are missed, but what I would like to say to you is that I haven't managed to pull a blinder here and got a Hollywood A-lister onto the podcast. However, Ewan is a A-list celebrity in Scottish construction, so Ewan McGregor is going to be on the podcast in a moment. We're going to jump right in just after he has told us all about his early years, so way back In the distant past, Ewan was down in the central belt of Scotland studying at the University of West Scotland for a BSc in construction management. Following that, Ewan went through a number of construction roles before his wife, who was a doctor, got offered a position up in the Scottish Highlands. And we join Ewan just as he arrives in Inverness. Several members of family have said, why don't you move back to the central belt? No. No. I've been in the Highlands, I think, 10 years now, something like that. Well, that's how we met initially, wasn't yeah, it? it was. You're working your accent. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. It's tough. It's my son. I keep uh, my youngest son, James. He's, he's um, just turned seven. And he, <laughs> he, one week he's Scottish, next week he's not. I keep telling him he's first first generation Scottish. So, yeah, yeah, we're working on it. We're working on it. So, you're up in the Highlands, um, and did you, did you instantly go into running your own business? Uh, no. Um, so, when we moved up here, I actually I carried on. I was with a company called BAM, which is still on the go, a huge right. international company. And for the first few months I worked in Edinburgh, I just commuted up on a uh, Friday afternoon and back down on a Monday. And then got a job up here working at Dunray, which uh, was a civils company, big civils company, well known, mm-hmm. but they were doing building. And I started in December, the original project manager on the job, we, it was buried the week before I started uh-huh. as a cancer. And it went downhill from there. So I gave it a few months and then did various things. Worked for a steel company, ran their construction contracts throughout the UK. And then wife became pregnant with her second child. But it was a difficult pregnancy, so I had to be home. Mm. And I got a job with uh, Robertson Group. Oh, right. Yeah. And we built the SNH headquarters in Inverness. So I was a project manager for that. And then when I left there, that's when I set up my own company. I mean, that's a fantastic building, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's uh, must be getting on for 16, 17 years old. Cool. There, I, guess. I was, uh, I was um, up there with my other half, Katrina, the other day, and we walked up the walked up the hill up there. I'd, I'd not been up to Craig Dunane, mm-hmm. I don't think, since we we did a roof um, survey there for Jim at Cane Tech years and years ago when we first got into drones. 
um, modelled the roof of the old hospital there. And that's the first time I've been up there since mm. since all that work's completed. It's quite the change there now. Well, that building, the SNH headquarters, started the highest BRIAM rating of any building in the UK for a couple of years. Really? Yeah, it was. we broke a lot of moulds on that one. Yeah. Just the way, because we had a high amount of uh, renewable materials in it, or there was a lot of analysis, daylights, uh, calculations, daylight penetration into the building, natural heating mm. cooled by the windows, a whole pile of stuff that hadn't really been done before. So yeah. There was a lot of ground broken on that. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's um it it's it's uh it's a real landmark, you can see that yeah. right the way around the city. And it's funny, it blends really well into the hillside, it doesn't does, it? Yeah. It's not until you get up close to it you realise uh, you realise what um, what a building is. I'll have to. We're we're building a visual picture there of something that most people listening to this are going to have no idea what we're talking, we're talking about. about. So about it, yeah. I'll have to pop a link in the uh, in the description there. So now, tell me about your role now and what kind of things that you do within your daily realm. So. I set up Helica um, mainly as a project management business mm. and we've, we do that and we've kind of gone into doing Clarker Works quality control and we do a lot of um, quality control work for Highland Council, the Housing Alliance, Highland Housing Alliance, uh, Care and Housing Association. We've done private work as well but uh, the Housing Association and Highland uh, Council are the biggest clients that we have. Yeah. Um, we're doing work in Edinburgh as well at the moment. But quality control is probably the biggest part of it, compliance with design, compliance with specification, that side of things. We also CDM advisors, so mm. construction design and management regulations, which applies to any construction project in the UK. And that includes domestic construction, which a lot of people think it doesn't apply to, but it does. And uh, also we do principal designer, so if your construction project has more than one contractor on site, you must have a principal designer and a principal mm. contractor, so we can fulfil the principal designer role, and then you say project management as well. Why do you think people get themselves into such a mess, particularly the smaller schemes when it comes to CDM and Clarker Works and that kind of thing? Um, the CDM side, <clears throat> it's amazing. I am no professional property developer, or a couple of them, when I've spoken to them, and they said, oh, this project's too small. In fact, mm. one of them was a building very close to here, and they were re-kitting out inside, and I said, how are you covering all the CDM stuff? Oh, it's too small, it doesn't apply to us. <laughs> Actually, yes, it does. Just because it's not notified doesn't mean the regulations don't apply. Um, so a lot of it's, some of it's willful ignorance, I think. Yeah. People don't want to know. Um and that, but on the whole, house builder or house owners or domestic clients just don't really know because their designers never explain it to them, mm. and they don't really. If you don't know, you don't know. How do you know to go and look for it if nobody told you? Uh, they called the CDM. Sorry, the Clarker Works. We've just been asked. We were asked by one particular client if we could help keep an eye on Clarker Works type role for one of their projects, and. We did that and realised that what they were getting from us was way better and more information than they were getting from their previous. And then from that point on, they've done pretty much all their work and morphed into the Highland Council as well and the Cairn Housing Association. 
It's it, that's often the way, isn't it? When you identify a hole in in someone else's project delivery, something you can you can do a little bit a little bit cleaner, a little bit better. And I mean, time after time after time, we we have a similar role within a boriculture boricultural clerker works, yeah. and it's specified within the boricultural method statement. And what generally happens is uh, a client doesn't matter the size of the scheme. They will get um, get their planning consent through, and there's nearly always a planning condition on there that they have to appoint the aboricultural yeah. clerker works or ecological clerker and or ecological yeah. clerker works. That's right, and that um, everything must comply with that report that had been provided some months ago. And uh, some do, some don't. Um, quite often, the cost of that is a barrier and a bit of a surprise, but. Quite often what tends to happen is that they don't come back to us for that piece of work until there's enforcement action threatened, i.e. the tree officer's gone out and has found that they've... And then you're trying to unpick that mess. Is that Does that same sort of thing happen on the building side of things? Yeah, well, we've got on the ecological side of things just now, there's a project um, in the islands where the bat surveys and stuff were never done. Right. And this project is well on. Mm. And it's now coming back to bite because they're not going to be able to. How are they going to discharge that? And the actual works of, I mean, houses are built. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah it's going to. It's causing issues right now. And it wasn't yeah, done properly. Bats, legally protected species. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, huge fines and attached to potentially as well. But I think the local authorities are becoming a bit more. You know, some people think, well, they'll never check. Or we won't bother with do, dealing with that. It'll go away. But it doesn't go away. You're taking a big chance if you don't just deal with it up front and get it absolutely get the, uh, conditions purified as mm. soon as possible. Some of them you can't purify straight away. You have to do it during a build or prior to occupation. But you know you have to keep a tracker of these things. You know quite often you have twenty or thirty conditions. Yeah, and if you don't track them, then it's too easy for them to get forgotten about. And then you might have a, a project that's ready for occupation, then you can't do it because you haven't purified the yeah. relevant conditions. Yeah, and I don't think people realise quite how um, often that scenario mm-hmm. arises yeah. as well. There is does seem to be a general a general concern, well, a, a general thinking that once you've got that decision notice in your hand, almost regardless of the size of the project, you can just you can just crack yeah. on with it. Um, I there's a there's a house builder that we work with um, that had some conditions in place for a, for for some additional surveys to be carried out uh and it all centered around the access and egress point to this uh, to this job so they knocked the ro- knocked the road through um completely trashed all the trees and uh, then came to us to discharge the condition and you just well there's nothing we we just literally cannot help you mm-hmm. and there was another one the other it does work the other way as well so quite often what will happen is the um, the local authority, if the planning officer has got a reasonable clue of what's what's going on, they might push the application through, put on a planning condition for a method statement and a tree protection plan to be to be uh, provided before any works commence on site to protect off-site trees or even even on-site trees. Um, so you get this planning condition for something that is um, it's totally unbuildable. So we had one recently. It was a demolition and rebuild. It was a commercial premises that was going to be knocked down. They were going to rebuild a residential unit right up to the site boundary, and there was a linear feature of off-site protected trees. They put a um, condition on for a method statement and a tree protection plan, came to us for a fee to discharge it, 
they accepted our fee, sent over all the plans and stuff, and I had a look at it and I said, well, there's nothing we can do. You're building right up to the boundary, right through all the roots of the trees. The trees overhang the development site. There was literally no way it could be constructed with the trees in place. Um, And worse still, the windows for the new residential units faced directly onto the stem of the tree. So there was no view. So where's that fallen down? You know, I mean, that that wasn't just the planning that's fallen down. That was at the design. So it's just everything. And you just say, how does this, how does, this happen you know just a lack of thought or something. it's but i was speaking to somebody earlier on and they they were saying to me that we need to change our language around get through planning um that's the wrong kind of language you know we should be doing everything in the right in the right order start, starting very on in the process making sure uh, making sure all the uh, all the all the boxes are ticked so it's, it's funny a lot of people looking in from the outside want planning to be complied with because they don't want everything but when planning actually applies to to your project, you shouldn't have to bother with it. That's a brilliant point. You know, it's yeah, it's funny how you, people change their mindset depending on whether they're the ones making the application. Yes, or not. I was looking at putting in a home gym at home, and it, it looked like we could probably do it under permitted development. Looks like you need it. Yeah, thank you. And then we um, we realised that in order to lift any weights above your head, you'd need yeah. additional height, and it yeah. wasn't going to happen. And knowing what I know about certain local authorities, etc., mm. I just decided that we, we weren't going to weren't yeah. going to bother with that at all, unless we dug down. I suppose we can maybe yeah. maybe get away with that. Well, you're allowed three meters to the eaves and yeah. four to the ridge with yeah. the development. I think it was too close to the boundary. Was it was too high. Yeah, okay. that was that that was the problem. However, the neighbour has built a large building in their back garden um, without. Any planning consent whatsoever, but anyway, we uh, we we digress. So if um it, if somebody out there has uh, they've just received their their planning consent, let's say it's a it's a mid sized development, the kind of development that would benefit from from your services onwards. At what stage should they be coming to you and getting you involved in a kind of CDM or Clark of Works role? If it's CDM, we should be there right from the off. Yeah. So from project inception, if you read the regulations that they apply from project inception doesn't always happen quite often we'll get a phone call saying can you do cdm advisor or whatever or principal designer on this and say right okay where are you with it oh we've got planning we've got building work i think well you know you're pretty well on in the process then because the whole point of the cdm regulations is reviewing design it's designing out risk if the design's complete then we've got no input into designing out that risk it's already designed into the building if there yeah. is any. I mean, you would hope that the architects, the engineers, the designers have already, they're aware of the regulations that they've looked at that and they have designed out work at height if possible or putting windows in funny places above stairs and things like that. And they've thought about maintaining the building afterwards in a safe manner. So ideally at the beginning, but we don't live in an ideal world and quite often we come in later on than we should do. And do you find clients are generally receptive to the solving of those issues when you come in later on, or um, do you become a point of conflict? It's usually a fait accompli at that yeah. point. What, what you tend to find is that the architects and the engineers know and they, they know what they should or shouldn't be doing in the whole. And most of the things that we're involved with are residential. Mm. So it's relatively straightforward. If you were doing some multi-storey 
Um, well, one in Inverness, funnily enough, a couple of years ago, which was flats, solar panels. We had a discussion, we were brought in again later than we would like to have been. Solar panels on the roof, uh, no parapet. So an unsafe system was included, but which isn't the ideal scenario. Mm-hmm. But there was a planning restriction on the height of the building, so that kind of dictated to a certain extent where the... But if we'd been involved earlier, we could have maybe helped to look and design some of that out. Yeah. As far as the Clark of Works side of things is concerned, it depends on who the client is. So with the Housing Alliance, we're usually involved fairly early on where we get copies of the plans and layouts and we'll do a review of all them, uh, make sure that they comply with what's called firm foundations, which is a Highland Council Housing Alliance specification type document, socket positions, all that sort of stuff. We'll mark up the drawings with the clients and then they go back to the design team for them to alter before it all gets signed off. So we not right at the beginning in that case, but usually once there's a sort of scheme in place and then prior to being finally signed off, then we're usually involved at that point. So the one thing that um, we do see quite a lot, even on quite reasonable size schemes sometimes, particularly demolition and rebuild, residential demolition and rebuild, is, is, is kind of DIY project management. What do you think the... Where are the where are the maybe not so hidden, but where are the the risks around DIY project management? What are the kind of things that people tend to miss when they're looking to manage something themselves? When you say DIY, I mean I take it you're not talking about putting up shelves. You're talking no. about building a house. Yes. So yeah, what you have to watch if you if you're building your own house and you're employing a contractor to build the work to do the work for you, then you're in the clear pretty much as far mm-hmm. as CDM regulations are concerned because the regulations fall on the principal contractor or if you've appointed the principal designer, the principal designer. If you are taking and you're going to manage the joiners, the brickies, the electricians, the plumbers and all these people yourself, the CDA, the, the health and safety executive will view you as the principal contractor potentially. Mm-hmm. And that's where you've got to watch because then you could be taking on some liabilities that you might not be aware of. The last time I was on uh, an update course for the CDM regulations, the instructor on that course was saying it would be very difficult for the HSE to enforce that on you as a um, private owner of your own, building your own house. Yeah. If you're building your house and you're going to be letting it out as a bed and breakfast or some sort of Airbnb, that's under a business, so then the regulations without a doubt apply to you. So depends on your circumstances and that well. and that's an interesting point because um i don't know how common it is now but certainly in in years gone by it was quite common for somebody to set up matt and Ewan construction limited so yeah. they could claim back the vat on their materials etc yeah. etc um so yeah they could be opening themselves right yeah, up no, to issues yeah you've got to watch so yeah, yeah long the short of it is if it's in the furtherance of a business then cdm regulations will apply to you even if it, you're going to live in the house but it's still furtherance of a business mm. then You've got to be careful. If it's purely for you and your family to live in, they still apply, but it's how rigidly they would be enforced if the HSE did get involved. 
No, that's really, really useful. Thanks for that. Some, uh, some interesting little background there, which may save people some expense in the future. So as we, as we move towards the, uh, t- towards the end of this, I wanted to ask you one last, uh, uh, one last question. Are you st- still, into, still into the cycling, are you? I have been building my own project for the uh, last year. Excuses, excuses. My weekends have been taken up. In fact, I just laid the last slabs at the weekend. Yeah. So I haven't been on my bike since last May. No. no. Where's the best place to go biking in the Highlands? Um, up, just anywhere. I just go south of Nairn and it's all uphill. Yeah. So go way up onto Dava Moor, out towards uh, Clava, out that way sometimes. Just depends. You go out and the thing is, you get up into the hills, by the time you've got to the top of a hill, a lot of your worries are... Yeah. It clears your head, it's great. And then depending how I'm feeling, I just keep going. Yeah. And... Some days it'll be 60, 70 miles. Sometimes it's just 20 miles, depending on how much time I've got. But I've put my bike back together there last weekend. So now that the statutory is finished, yeah, I'll be getting out on the bike again. Yeah, no no, no excuses, no, no excuses. Yeah, I see that there was a very large cycle race, wasn't there, in Inverness this weekend? Yeah, the ATAP, yeah, which I've done the last few years, but I didn't sign up for this year because we were supposed to be in London last weekend. Mm. But... Um, we didn't go in the end, so but I've done no training, so I would have the hill coming out of Fort Augustus would have probably. That me. is a that is a that is a killer. So for those that don't know, this is I think 62, 60, 64 miles, sixty four yeah. mile cycle race in the Highlands of Scotland that leaves Inverness and it goes along the uh, shore of Loch Ness down to a place called Fort Augustus, and then the climb from Fort Augustus up to the top end of Strathnairn is is quite something, isn't it? It's a killer. Yeah. yeah. In fact, yeah. the last time I did it, there was a fella with the biggest calves I've ever seen from Yorkshire. <laughs> and we were coming to Fort Augustus, we went up a little hill, and he said, Is this the big hill? I went, no. <laughs> <laughs> you'll, you'll know when you've hit it. Yeah. And funnily enough, there was a guy getting CPR on the hill as I cycled yeah. past. He yeah. was Australian lad, as it turned out. Fortunately, the guy who was doing CPR was one of the A&E doctors from Rigmore. Oh, that's handy. Very lucky. Very yeah. Lucky. yeah. Oh, it's worth it when you get to the top, though. Oh, that's. Sorry. We've done some filming up there on the on the yeah. other side of business on that on that little ridge, and it is probably one of my favourite spots. I regularly go up the south side of Strathnairn. Yeah. I, I think it's the, one of the most underrated areas um, close to close to Inverness. Well, we've we've got a couple of projects in Fort William, so sometimes on the way back, if it's a nice day, yeah. I'll go that way just to change yeah. the route a wee bit. So. And that's probably one of the best things about your job up here, isn't it? It's getting yeah. to travel around stunningly beautiful yeah. scenery. Yeah, you know, you, you go to Sky on a bad day, or go to Sky night. It's horrible day and it's stunning regardless. Yeah. We were, north, yeah. we were on a development project on Rasse about three weeks ago, four oh, weeks yeah. ago. Yeah. And uh yeah, it's hard to call it a job sometimes. Yeah. So sorry for the London listeners, but there you yes. go. Yeah. It's uh, it's a beautiful beautiful spot. spot. Yeah. So thanks a lot for coming in, Ewan. Um for those people that want to reach out with you, uh, reach out to you and get in contact with you, what's the what's the best way to do that? Um the website is helicapm.com and my email address is ewan at helicapm.com. That's E-W-A-N. <laughs> and if uh, anyone wants to get in touch then, please feel free. Fantastic. Thanks a lot for coming in, Ewan. I will pop those links in, uh, in the description and uh, we will speak to you soon. Cheers. You've been listening to Ask the Arb. Your host was Matt Harmsworth. To get your planning back on track, the next logical step is to go to www.go-roavr.co.uk right now and get your instant quote today.